Hi, my name is Ian Van Duzer. This is something like a film series, a brand spanking new podcast where I talk about some of my favorite movies and try to put them into their proper historical contexts, which I think is super important because I, I think that context is crucial to understanding what a piece of art is trying to say. At the very least, context helps us understand how a film was made and why it was possibly made in the first place. And I'll get to that eventually because it's autumn right now, which means that a lot of the year's best films are slowly being released, ramping up to the new year, which is of course award season. So today I'm ignoring the historical part of historical context to talk about a film that I saw this week, it's in theaters right now, that left me completely baffled. First Man. Now don't get me wrong, Damien Chazelle's latest movie, starring Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy, is unarguably good. Technically, it does some interesting things, which I'll get to later. The acting is superb, the music is incredible, the direction is on point. However, I don't know exactly what it is, but I couldn't decide whether this was a great film, or if it ended up missing the point entirely. Because I'm obsessed with thinking about context, I wanted to look at what's going on surrounding this film and, hopefully, get into Damien Chazelle's head a little bit, if only to figure out why he decided to attach himself to this particular project. Because I honestly think that First Man is a result of Chazelle's previous two movies. So let's take a leaf out of Julie Andrews' book and start at the very beginning, which I've been told, is a very, very good place to start. The start of Giselle's adventures in Hollywood, Whiplash. What's your name? Andrew Naiman, sir. What year are you? I'm a first year. You know who I am? Yes, sir. So you know I'm looking for players? Yes, sir. Then why did you stop playing? I want to point out very quickly, Whiplash was not Damien Chazelle's first feature film. While he was at Harvard, because of course this guy went to Harvard, he directed a full-on song and dance musical titled Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench as a senior thesis project. Guy and Madeline got into the Tribeca Film Festival and a bunch of other film festivals worldwide. It was championed by actor Stanley Tucci, Uh, it got a very limited release in theaters it did not make any money but still this isn't too shabby for a directorial debut especially one made by a couple college students but i want to focus on his real breakthrough film which came out in 2014. now chazelle moved to los angeles after graduating and immediately tried to shove his foot into the door of hollywood he worked as a writer for hire for a number of years, basically working as a script doctor, while also working on his own projects on the side. He wrote Whiplash, but when he wrote it, he didn't really shop it around. He didn't try to get it made, but in 2012, Whiplash somehow made it onto the Black List, a a list of the best unproduced scripts of the year, and people noticed it. Unfortunately for Giselle, 
he almost would have wished that people didn't notice it. He was frustrated with how people saw his script. He thinks that he thought that people thought of it as a music movie or a movie about a jazz drummer when in reality Chazelle saw it as a thriller, an intensely emotional and suspenseful ride that just so happened to have lots of jazz music in it. The script was eventually sold to Right of Way Films, which is Jason Reitman of Juno and Up in the Air Fame's production company, and Blumhouse Productions. If that name sounds a little bit familiar, it's because Blumhouse is the studio famous for the paranormal activity movies and the plethora of other low-budget horror films that have been coming out over the past couple years. That should tell you a little bit about how Chazelle saw this film playing out in his head. But funding for the feature was a problem, so Chazelle filmed a short version of the movie and then sent that short film to Sundance in 2013. If you've seen the final film, this isn't like... It's, it's pretty cool to watch, but it's not like, you know, the, the lost tapes of anything. If you've seen the final film, you'll have seen his short. Chazelle took the scene where Neiman, the, the drummer, uh, first plays with Fletcher, that's the conductor, his band. Uh, the scene is the one where a trombone player is kicked out of the band for not knowing whether he's out of tune or not, where the horn player... Um, cleans out, empties his spit valve on the floor of the band room, and the scene where Neiman tries to play Whiplash, the song, can't get the time right, and has a chair thrown at his head. It's a great scene, and it's also indicative of Whiplash as a film. There's a lot of crossover um, between the two projects. Obviously, Chazelle directed both. J.K. Simmons was in both of them, and of course he later went on to, to win the Oscar for his role in the feature film Whiplash. The editor was the same. The scene itself, if you watch them side by side, is almost so exact. It, it's, it's scary, and really speaks to Chazelle's uh, excellence as a director, even in the early days. It's incredible, and it did the job. Uh, Chazelle got the money, made Whiplash, and Whiplash exploded. And more than anything else, I want to focus on that little particular anecdote that Chazelle could have sold the Whiplash script to anyone. By all accounts, there were lots of people that were interested in it, but they just didn't quite get it. Chazelle didn't sell the script because, in his opinion, everyone else would have gotten it wrong. And I want to add a little anecdote. Apparently, Around the same time, in 2013-2014, Damien Chazelle was hired by J.J. Abrams' studio, Bad Robot, to rewrite the film 10 Cloverfield Lane. Not only did Chazelle pick up a writing credit for his work on 10 Cloverfield Lane, the film was supposed to be Chazelle's directorial debut. Think about that for a second. A writer with aspirations of directing gets recruited by J.J. Abrams, who wants him to step in and direct a film in an already established franchise. It should be a slam dunk. It should be a sure bet, especially for someone brand new to the industry, or at least brand new in terms of directing. 
and yet Chazelle turns it down to make a short version of a script that he has and maybe possibly have the chance to turn that script into a feature. Now, of course, hindsight's 2020. Uh, if we flash forward, Whiplash is a huge success. It was nominated for five Academy Awards. It won three for Best Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Supporting Actor. Chazelle was a hot commodity, and everybody wanted a piece of him. Everybody, including Summit Entertainment, who decided to write him a blank check for a cool uh, $30 million, roughly, and tells him to go and make whatever movie he wanted to. So Chazelle calls up uh, this guy named Justin Hurwitz, who was his old roommate from college, and who is also a film composer who has worked on all of Chazelle's films. And Chazelle says to him, Hey, remember that musical we wrote back when we were idiots in college? Well, we, we just got a green light. And that's how La La Land came into being. La La Land is probably my favorite film of the past decade, I'll just say that straight up. I think it does something amazingly well. It captures a what I consider a real romance, uh, while not being about the romance at all. And there's a million things I could say about La La Land, and almost everything I could say about it has already been said by someone else. I will say though, my favorite reference in this smorgasbord of callbacks has to be when Mia and Seb are walking through the studio back lot, and Mia is talking about why she dreams of being an actress, and she's talking about her aunt. And in the background, uh, we can see two actors in the middle of acting a very tender, romantic love scene. And the moment the director yells cut, the two background actors immediately pull back from each other and start yelling at each other, which reminded me immediately of this scene from Singing in the Rain. Roll them. Okay, Doc. Now enter. You see her. Run to her. I never heard of anything so low. Fine, fine. Looks great. What did you do it for? Because you liked her. I could tell. So that's it. Believe me, I don't like her half as much as I hate you. You reptile. Sticks and stones may break my bones. I'd like to break every bone in your body. You wouldn't know else, you big lummox. Now kiss her, Don. That's it. More! Great! Cut! Hold on, you couldn't kiss me like that and not mean it just a teensy-weensy bit. Meet the greatest actor in the world. I'd rather kiss a tarantula. But you don't mean that. I don't... Hey, Joe, bring me a tarantula. <laughs> now listen, lady. Stop I'm that chit-chat, you lovebirds. Let's get another take. That's one of my favorite moments of cinematic history. I find it so funny. Uh, and, and 
when I first saw La La Land, that was a moment that stuck out to me immediately, and I'm just tickled pink that I can finally share that with someone. It's incredible. And, okay, sorry. La La Land exploded. It earned 14 Oscar nominations, uh, which is tied for the most nominations of all time. And the film ended up winning six. And of those six, the most notable of these wins, at least to me right now as I'm recording this particular podcast, is Damien Chazelle's Oscar for Best Directing. He became the youngest winner of that award ever. He was 32 years old. And then, of course, though, I think La La Land is slightly more famous for the one Oscar it didn't win than all the ones that it did. It's the love of my life, Ali Lowy. I'm up here because of you. I love you so much. To my family, maman, papa, Jeff, homage, vous adore. Matt Pluff, you kicked this off. And Damien Chazelle, we're standing on your shoulders. We lost, by the way, but, you know. Guys, guys, I'm sorry. No, there's a mistake. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. Come on, I, this is not a joke. Come this on. is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Moonlight, Best Picture. I think you guys should keep it anyway. And this whole misunderstanding. Uh, it, it brings us to Chazelle's third Hollywood movie, First Man. I want to pause for a moment about the context and talk about something that makes me really respect Chazelle a whole bunch, and that's his attention to authenticity, his commitment to authenticity. What I mean by that is that two of his three films have been steeped in nostalgia, or at the very least, they've been concerned with the ghosts of the past, this is two latest films, by the way, in case you're like thinking, oh, when did Whiplash be like reminiscent of the past? It, it wasn't. In La La Land, uh, Chazelle drew extensively on old musicals like Singing in the Rain, which, you know, I, I just talked about, and An American in Paris, as well as the musicals of this guy named Jacques Demy, who is a French filmmaker in the 60s. Uh, and made two particular films which have their fingerprints all over La La Land. Uh, those two films being The Umbrellas of Sherberg and The Young Girls of Rochefort. These connections, those fingerprints, are super clear when you're actually watching the film. The final act of La La Land, which I think is absolutely brilliant, and I still believe is, is brilliant, the, the final act being the one where the lost love Mia wanders into the abandoned loves, Seb's new business, and kind of both are faced with this moment where they have to acknowledge what could have been. That moment is lifted directly from The Umbrellas of Sherberg. But more than that, La La Land feels like one of those old-school, golden age of Hollywood musical numbers. And it's not just because of the art direction or the sets or the fact that Damien Chazelle purposely filmed all the dance numbers in incredibly long-lasting takes. In some cases, one takes. They're oneers, which is crazy. Just like they used to back in the 1950s. But you can tell just by looking at the screen. The films Chazelle idolized were filmed 
in CinemaScope. It's a format that was almost twice as wide as the typical ratio of the time. Chazelle used celluloid film when he was working on La La Land, um, which is a departure from what he did on Whiplash. On Whiplash, he filmed digitally. Um, and while he couldn't film in CinemaScope in La La Land because the technology is like 60 years old and it doesn't exist anymore, like it just doesn't physically exist anymore, he still tried his darned hardest to emulate the actual filming techniques and styles of his favorite movies, and you can tell. And that commitment carries over to First Man. One of the first things I noticed and one of the things I found most impressive with First Man was that you can tell Chazelle was doing the exact same thing. He was shooting in pseudo-cinemascope for the majority of the film, switching to IMAX only when Neil Armstrong actually lands on the moon. By the way, spoiler alert, if you didn't know that Neil Armstrong lands on the moon and that's how this film ends, well, I'm sorry to have spoiled 1969 for you. Now, this decision obviously limited him technically, there are a couple of soft shots where the focus is just a touch off. And there are times when the camera moves shakily where if he was using more modern equipment and was shooting digitally, the frame would be totally steady. I'm not talking about moments where the camera should shake, like when he attaches it to the side of a rocket being blasted up into space, but I'm talking like camera pans or when the camera is following characters walking down hallways. Still, this is a nice touch. And it's an incredible way to approach this story. I watch a lot of older movies, and First Man really does feel like a classic film from the 1960s. You can feel it in the film grain. But I digress. What I'm trying to get at here is the mind of Damien Chazelle. Possibly the mind of the most exciting director operating today. He attracted everybody's eyes with Whiplash. And then he used that attention to create La La Land, a film that he had been working with his best friend on for, I mean, not a decade, but like six or seven years. Actually, almost a decade. Up until that point, is the film that he dreamed of making. How can you top two films like that? Do you even want to? What can you actually do? Of course, I mean, the answer is... You put a man on the moon. See, I think that Damien Chazelle believed that La La Land was, was the best picture winner. I believe that Damien Chazelle wanted that Oscar possibly more than he wanted the directing one because I, I believe he truly felt that La La Land deserved it. And also selfishly, I think that he wanted the accolades to have his film go down as one of the winners of Best Picture. Or at the very least, I believe, because both of those are kind of harsh interpretations of this guy who I really don't know anything about, like personally. But at the very least, I believe that Damien Chazelle didn't absolutely love having to get up on stage only to have the award that he thought he had won handed over to someone else's movie. Even if that other movie was Moonlight, which also completely deserved the award. Moonlight's fantastic. 
But the gamble that Chazelle took all those years ago in like 2013, 2014 and turning down J.J. Abrams for 10 Cloverfield Lane to in order to direct Whiplash tells me that Chazelle takes his work incredibly seriously and that he is incredibly particular in what he wants to do. And with La La Land, we can see that ambition again, hitting on all cylinders to create a piece of art that tied and broke records. And the guy is 33 years old. I don't think it's a coincidence that the main protagonists in all three of his movies are, are young men who are driven and passionate and almost take everything that they do almost a little bit too far but they're, they, they want to be great. Uh, Neiman wants to be the greatest jazz musician of all time. Seb wants to single-handedly revitalize a dying music genre. And Neil Armstrong, I mean, he wants to land on the frickin' moon. So what could Chazelle do to top La La Land? Well, how about creating a movie that stands the test of time, that cements him as unequivocally as one of the greatest directors of all time? Because if First Man delivers on the promise of its idea, Hollywood's top director or one of Hollywood's top directors tackling a personal biography of one of America's greatest heroes, then that classification would be true. Chazelle would go down as the next Coppola or the next Spielberg. And he will never ever say that he signed on to do First Man to cement his legacy, partly because I think he did sign on to First Man um, back when La La Land was still in production. So this has been a, a, a decent time coming, but even if that's the case, uh, even though he was attached to the project even well before it came out, that doesn't mean that the events, the perception of his other films of Whiplash and of La La Land didn't influence how he approached First Man. He didn't actually do any production stuff until, you know, he had won all of his Oscars and won all of his awards. And so he's not going to say that he wanted to cement his legacy. That's not the kind of thing that anyone actually says, at least in public. But I think the writing is on the wall, or at the very least, it's on the screen. The big question is, though, um, does First Man deliver on this promise? To which I want to go back to the very, very, very beginning of this episode to reiterate, I don't know. First Man baffles me because it does everything right. The tone, the acting, the way the scenes are constructed, that... They, they powerfully move that claustrophobic anxiety that you feel watching Neil Armstrong, and they're cut in a particular way that transfers all of that anxiety, all of that fear, right to Janet Armstrong, his wife. And then there's the emotional punch in the gut and that comes at the very end of the film, which you totally see coming. There's like a, a total... Uh, Chekhov's gun situation happening in the very first act of the film and as soon as it happens you're like oh that's, this is coming back you totally see it coming and you physically can't prepare yourself for it anyways 
first man does everything it's supposed to, but there's a line from the show The Wire where Omar says, you come for the king, you best not miss. Of course, this is The Wire, so they're saying that if you gun for the head of an organized ring of crime and you don't put that guy in the ground, then you're dead because they will find you and make you regret missing your chance. But I think this line is a little bit relevant here too. First Man is a film that is built on aspirations. The aspirations of NASA, the aspirations of Neil Armstrong, and in a meta sense, the aspirations of Damien Chazelle himself. He's shooting for greatness, and while it does everything properly, it's a bit off. I can't put my finger on why, which is incredibly frustrating. Maybe this is my excuse to, to go see it one or two or five more times. But there's something there, or there's something that's not there. And that thing that's there or not there touches you, or it doesn't touch you. Something that's there that shouldn't be, or something that's missing, like a single piece of a 1,000-piece puzzle. Damien Chazelle tried, and I think his aspirations were a bit too obvious. I think it was something you can just subconsciously feel throughout the entire movie. It's trying to tell you, remember me, I'm going to be one of those movies people watch for decades. And there's another line from TV, this one's from Game of Thrones, and it goes, any man who must say, I am the king, is no true king. Don't get me wrong, Damien Chazelle will cement his legacy, if he hasn't already. But I don't think that First Man is the film that's going to do it. As weird as this is to say, since his other films are so strong, Whiplash is so strong, La La Land is so strong, and First Man also was really, really strong, I feel like I need to emphasize that more since I've just spent a couple minutes just kind of ripping it apart, or maybe not ripping it apart, but but talking smack on it, when really the only thing that I have is a gut feeling. That's, that's my only criticism, is that there's just something not there, not happening in my gut. And if that's my only complaint to the film, I mean, good job. But even with his three incredibly strong films. I feel like Chazelle needs a little bit more experience. He's not quite there yet. He's not quite ready to just kind of uh, effortlessly whip out a third great movie. But he will be. There's a poster that used to hang up in, I think it was like my grade three classroom, and it read, uh, shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you'll end up amongst the stars. Pretty common saying, I'm pretty sure everyone's heard it at least once. But years years after that, uh, I saw an image somewhere on the internet that riffed off of that idea, and it said, shoot for the moon, but know that if you miss, you will tumble, en you will tumble endlessly through a black void of space for all eternity. I think that line is oddly appropriate, especially in light of First Man's opening scene where Neil Armstrong 
almost can't get his plane back down into the atmosphere, almost sending him off into the void. Thank you for listening to this inaugural episode of my new adventure in this podcasting world. This is really exciting, and I'm really excited to tell you more and more stories, like next time, uh, where I plan to tell you about the film genre that disappeared practically overnight, but might be coming back randomly after 70 years. But for now, my name is Ian, this has been something like a film series, and I will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Seriously, thank you so, so, so much.